I want to start talking about the Sabbath rest. So let's quickly go. We're going to do it's two sections. There's a bit in Deuteronomy and a bit in Exodus. And they're both talking about the Sabbath day rest. We'll do the Exodus ones first and see how well we get on. This time I want, I've, I've looked at the one of it and it, I wanted to quote Isaiah 55 saying, my thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And one of the things about what we do as Christians and everybody does is they bring God down to our level and put man up to God's level. And put your mind aside. This is the way God works. It's different to the way we work. Let's look at Exodus 20, verse 8. This is when God spoke. Now, he spoke out, and I first used to first think that God gave them to Moses, and Moses wrote them down, but he didn't. God spoke it out. Straight from heaven with a voice, and they couldn't cope with it. And then God went, then Moses went up to the mountain and then God wrote them on the tablets for him. And we know a bit more of the story after that. But in, in, in here we get a... in verse 8, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord. The word Sabbath actually just means rest. And it shall not be, do not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor the cattle, wow, nor the stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that are in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day to hallow it. Now if we go on, here we see that he's rested completely from his work. He stopped working. He'd finished his work after six days. Now, things of God appear in the heavenlies before they come down here. I believe all the works that God had done from the day he created to the day of the end of time had already been organised in God's mind and are there ready. A.W. Pink says, there is no time ever where he talks about the plans of God or the purposes of God. He always talks about the plan and the purpose. It's always singular because there's one plan, one purpose. God's bigger. He doesn't change anything because he doesn't need to change anything. All right. And what is hidden is shown. A lot of times it talks about manifest. Let's look in John 6. We're going to look at this little word manifest first just to, just to just set you up a little tiny bit so you can begin to understand. It's 6, 1 to 5. And this is talking about when he... Have we got that? John 6. Well, let's go to John 2, 11. I'll probably make... All right, and, and this is when, when Jesus did his first miracle. The beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. It's the glory he already had. He manifested it. So it was already there. He manifested it, all right? Now, I'm not sure what happened to the other verse. We might find it in a minute. Let's see if I've got it. No, it's about manifesting. No, it's not, the, it's not the right passage. Anyway, it talks about his manifestation, right? In John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keep of him his is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. So what Jesus is, he manifests himself to us. Doesn't he? What he is, he manifests himself to us. In John 17, 6, he said, I manifested thy name. Because it was already there. And, and one... Peter 1.20, we get an idea here 
about another thing he manifested. 1 Peter 1.20. We're going to go quite a few through scriptures here. I'm trying to get you to 1 Peter 1.20 after Hebrews. 1.20. Right. Well, let's go start at 18. For as, 1 Peter 1.18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from vain way of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This is what we were remembering yesterday. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times unto you. Now can you see, this was foreordained before the foundation of the world, and then was manifested. So it was already in God's mind. It was already there. What he had it planned was already in God's mind. It was manifested, you see. In Hebrews 4, which you knew we'd get to Hebrews 4, if we're talking about entering into a rest, Where do we start? We'll start at three. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, they shall not enter into rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place on the seventh day of this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they whom it was first preached entered not because of unbelief. Right? So they didn't enter in, there's a, a, something that God had set up in entering into a rest before the foundation of the world. The works were started before the foundation of the world. So we live in the seventh day. There's the six days of creation and there's the seventh day when it all happens after it was created. We're living in the seventh day of Sabbath rest of the work of God. When Jesus stood on, sat on that, stood on that cross, laid on that cross and he said, it's finished, we are in that rest of the finished work of Christ. You see, but it didn't start there. It was already decided before the foundation of the world. Wow. Because it says in verse 9, there therefore remaineth a rest for the people of God. Because God had already planned it before eternity. Before he created a single molecule a single atom, it had already been planned. This is bigger than us. That's why it's for his thoughts and his is far beyond anything we can even be imagine. Now, we very often take it out of context when it says further down, for the word of God is sharp and quick as a two-edged sword. We take the context is entering into rest. Because we think we have to do everything. No. God says, I've already done it. I've already planned it. It's bigger. You see, I've heard people say, Adam fell and God said, oh no, what am I going to do now? No, he didn't. It was all in his plan. Before the foundation of the world. Did you know the parables? Let's read in Matthew 13, 35. I'm trying to broaden your perspective of God. We have a little God sometimes. And when we start reading the word, we start beginning to get a big God. Right, in verse, chapter 13, Matthew 13, 34, And all these things spake Jesus unto the multitudes in parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled 
which is spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. All the things that Jesus said were said before the foundation of the world. They were kept secret. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Matthew 25. Let's go over to Matthew 25. Verse 31. Matthew 25. And when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and who set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. And, sh and shall the king say unto them of his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from the foundation of the world. Prepared. You see? That's why I talked about manifest. Everything that's in God has already been prepared and it just comes to be manifested. Wow. <laughs> it's beyond our thought, isn't it? It's just beyond it. That's how big my God is. But it goes on. 1 Corinthians 2, 7. We're just going to do these in the order they appear in the scriptures. They're not any particular. 1 Corinthians 2, 7. But we speak the wisdom of God, this is the Christians, in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Before the world. It was ordained before the world for our glory. Wow. Ephesians 1, 4. Everybody knows this verse. <laughs> According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. You were chosen in God before the foundation. If some people say he saw and he knew what was going to happen and he saw that you were going to choose him and he chose you. That's not choosing. That's not choosing. This is not the choice of God. He chose. Not because you've done anything. Not because your works are righteous. Not because there was anything good about any of us. But he chose us because he chose us. He loved us. Love is a choice. Love isn't an emotion with God, it's a choice. He chose to love us. And he never changes his mind. Glory. Glory! Let's see it from the whole heaven's view. He chose us in him before the foundation. That's the rest. That's the Sabbath rest. I don't have to try and please God all the time. Because he's, he pleased with me. Because he put his love on me. He chose me. When I was a wretch and a rebel. He chose me. To all of us. Every one of us. Wow. Titus 1. 1 to 3. Wow. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the coin to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of life eternal, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. That we would have hope eternal, but have in due times manifested his word through preaching. You see. So he already had it. But he manifested it through preaching. That's why we have to preach to the people so that we manifest the word and the oracles of God, which are already in God's heart, have already been there for eternity. Isn't it amazing? You get such a big picture of resting God. 
when we talk to the people, it's not us trying to convince them that they need to get saved. It's God working in their lives and in their hearts. The hound of heaven's after them. <laughs> the Holy Ghost. And he gets, always gets his man. Sorry about all the different metaphors there. <laughs> 2 Timothy 1. This is all to do about having the rest of God. Because we're in the seventh day rest. In the rest of God. He's already completed his work. Remember where we are. Right. 2 Timothy. Where are we? Gone too far. 2 Timothy 1. Nine and ten. Who have saved us? This is talking about uh, uh, about the power of God, the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose—not purposes, purpose and grace, which given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. His purpose before the world began. We're in eternity. We're standing on the edge of eternity, every one of us. But we've, we've stepped into something different, haven't we? Before the world began. A holy calling from God. This is a verse many people know. 1 Peter 1. 18 and 19. Holy Ghost. 1 Peter 1, 18. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain way of life retrieved by tradition of the fire, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in his last times. We read that before, didn't we? But it's good to read it again. Before the world began, he was manifest to us. Now, in Revelation 13, 8, Wow, Holy Ghost. 13.8 All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written, even those who are not written, in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. It was right in God's heart from the very beginning before we created anything, that his lamb, Jesus, would come. It wasn't an afterthought. It was planned from eternity. Wow. Planned from eternity that his lamb. And it says there also, we can read it in 17.8, that uh, the, the, the lamb's name's written in the lamb's book of life, which from eternity, that's in 17.8, so it says the same thing in this, in this passage we just saw, 13.8. But the name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. So who, who our names, whose names are written from the foundation? Let's look at Philippians 4.3. Those are the people whose names are not written. That's Philippians 4.3. says this. Talking about um, Clement and other la fellow labourers whose names are in the book of life. We're fellow labourers with, with God, aren't we? With these people. He's talking about Christians whose names are written in the book of life. And that was written before the foundation of the world. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? Our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. That brings us into a Sabbath rest. Because I don't have to try 
because he accepts me. It doesn't mean to say I can do what I like. There's a restrictions on what I, what I can do. But this is the security that God has for us. This is the security of the Sabbath rest. That I'm his and he is mine. And he wants us to have fellowship with him. Does this mean then we don't do anything if all these things have been set in eternity to happen any rate? No. Let's have a look at Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. Right, I'll, I'll go... This read, oh dear. I don't know, where do you start in Ephesians in a verse like, chapter like this? He raised us up together, in verse 6, and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, of his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace... Ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not a work, as any man would boast, for we are his workmanship, or we are his work, or his creation, created in, in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained before, that, that we should walk in them. Before ordained, that we should walk in them. So he's ordained them before, so that we walk in them. It's not that we don't do anything, Jesus walked in the, what was ordained before him. Look at him. Sometimes they said, he's so busy, he hasn't got time to eat. His disciples said, he complained that he was so busy. So it doesn't mean to say we're not busy just because God has set everything in his heart to do. You see, it's like this when we, and we make decisions. I've got some decisions to make. If I go to a fork in the road and I go left or I go right, whichever way I go, that's the plan of God. Because I don't know how that works. I make a decision, but it's all still in the plan of God. How does, how does that work? With the, I don't know. That's why I said, my ways are your ways. How it all works, I don't know. But what I do know is that's what it says. Because that's the way God is. And he sets up. Isn't it incredible? This is the, the Sabbath rest that we can enter into a plan he has for our life, and it, it's up to him. We just all have to do is just go along with God. Jesus said, follow me. And that's all we have to do, is follow him. And that's easy. It's easy, isn't it? Well, it might not. It actually isn't easy, but <laughs> because we have our old flesh. <laughs> but it would be easy. Because <laughs> Jesus didn't find it easy either. He had to wait. Remember, he had to learn, didn't he? But that's, that's the security, because it's all been set by God in eternity. In Deuteronomy 5, we get a different view. It's when I read this, it set me off. Deuteronomy 5, 14 and 15. And it's, it's, it's going, if Moses is, is talking to the people here and he's going through what God said. But God, he gets a little bit more information here. So let's read that in verse 14 and 15. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Though he don't work. And he goes all the way through all those people again. Then in verse 15. And remember... There was a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand by an outstretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commands to keep the Sabbath day, keep a holy the Sabbath day. Wow. It's not just because he created it in seven days, and six days, and the seventh day he rested, that we rest and enter into his rest but that he has delivered us, delivered them from the power of darkness in, and into an, out of the Egypt. Now, Egypt, this is a type of our life because this is what happened to us. What happened to them was a type, a picture of what happened to us. So we're going to look at the type and see how it works with us. First of all, in Joshua 24, 14, you don't need to turn to it, you can write it down, he said that they serve God's 
over the other side of the flood that was talking about the river Euphrates, that Abraham served gods, and you served gods of Egypt. So they served the gods of Egypt. They'd been there 400 years, and most of them served the gods of Egypt. And they were in bondage to these gods. And they lived under the, the bond, not just that bondage, it was the bondage of serving the gods, and it was the bondage of the pharaohs making them work. So they were under this double bondage, and this big bondage, which, and we were the same way. Egypt always speaks of the world, and we can become in bondage to the, the gods of this world, every one of them. There's so many of them, people get caught in the bondage. There's entertainment, football, sport. There's all the stuff you have to buy, houses, gardens, the whole lot. There's all the food to eat. There's all the stuff of the world, just the whole attitude of the world, of yourself. And God wants to break it in our lives. He's broke and he did that on that cross. And we'll see that. See, when they had the ten plagues, those weren't just ten plagues. Each one represented a number of Egyptian gods. And the first, I'm going to talk about two of them. The first one was the water was turned into blood. Now, what was the reason for Egypt being where it was? It's because of the Nile. And the Nile would flood every year. And they had gods of the Nile. Now, have I got my piece of paper here? I have. Here we are, the gods of the Nile. There were. Carmen, guardian of the river's source. Hapi, spirit of the Nile. Osiris, the Nile was his bloodstream. So everything, everything that they were, and the very reason they were where they were was because of that water coming down that river. And if that water stopped, the whole of Egypt would have grown to a halt and it would have died out completely. The very life spring of our lives has been changed. God challenged him and he beat the gods. He showed them that he was God. Didn't he? And he did it all the way through and every one represents one of these, a load of these gods of Egypt. And that's what happens when Jesus came on that cross and defeated the devil. He defeated every God in your life. Completely and utterly. That's the Sabbath rest. That you have, they have gone. You don't have to kowtow to them anymore. All the stuff that goes on in our lives, the depression, the, the uh, feeling of rejection and worthlessness, all the stuff inside us, God has come and he's cut it off completely. The other God I'm going to talk about is the tenth one. Because the tenth one represents Pharaoh, who was the most supposedly powerful God. And what did God do? He cut off the next Pharaoh. He cut him off. Took him away. You see? That's you. The world is one sort of problem, but you're the other problem. You, you have been your God. That's the biggest problem. Sin. You. But he come and he cut that off completely. And how did he do it? He did it to start with by a little lamb being killed in a backwater as a, of, of Egypt. And we have a lamb who was killed in the backwater of Jerusalem. Jesus who cut us off. You see, he started off something that would free us completely, that we would see our enemies under the sea. Because he says, your sins are under the, buried in the deepest sea. Just like the Egyptian. Because what is the power of this nation? It's our army. What was the power of Egypt? It was their army. And God dealt with it. It was the, the best army there was. And he dealt with it, and there they were, under the sea. That's what God did for us. But he started with a cross, a picture of a cross in those little rooms, and where they daubed the, the blood on the top and on the sides, and that blood would have dripped down to the bottom, and it would have shown a picture of the cross. 
where God's judgment, not the devil, the God's judgment was coming upon them. The destroyer wasn't the devil, it was God who was destroying them. And he destroyed them. But they were safe because they're under the blood. That's the freedom, that's the wonderful message of the Passover and the Sabbath to remember what God took us out of bondage. Isn't it wonderful? Took us out of the bondage of the world and set us free from all the stuff they have We don't have to have it anymore. We don't have to have it. It's not your inheritance. It's not yours. We have an inheritance to enter in. Now, they didn't enter in fully because of unbelief and they had to wander around for 40 years until their unbelief had died off so they could enter in. Right? That's the picture. The Passover lamb, that's in Exodus 12. He says, in Romans 6, 4, it says, oh, no, here we are. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, and as like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now that picture, that is the picture of what happened when they crossed that sea. Their past was gone. Now, but that's why you get baptised. It's a picture of that baptism. The baptism in that sea took a, separated them from their old life to a newness of life. And it's the same with us. What Jesus did on that cross, we remember it by baptism because it separates us from our old life. And our old life is gone, finished. There's nothing to do with us anymore. And we have a new life. Now, the old flesh doesn't know that, so it because it's living in lies still, it sometimes comes along and tells you that it's not true. But it is true. <laughs> it lies to us, doesn't it? You see, now why is this newness of life like? It's not right me talking about these almost seeming esoterical ideas about everything being done before the foundation of the world. But how do we walk in that? Well, I've got ten things of how they walked in the wilderness. You see, how many people here have a wilderness experience? Well, I have. Because I want to show you what a wilderness experience is really like. People complain about a wilderness experience. What they usually mean is that they've walked away from God. But there's a wilderness experience which we can have just like they had in the wilderness. First of all, they didn't lack water. Now, fancy this. 10,000... No, Two million people living in a desert and God supplies water. (laughs) Just imagine that. You can go, if you you can go and have a look on the internet to see Mount Horeb, and there's a big rock there with a big crack down the middle of it where water's been pouring out. It's amazing. It's still there in Arabia. You see, that was the water. Let's look at Psalm 78. So we can put it into scripture, so you're not, not believing that I'm saying something that doesn't come from scripture. And this is a psalm which talks about what God did to them, so we're going to go back to this for a few times, so put your finger in it. All right, in Psalm 78, 15, he said, He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Now, does that remind you of something from John chapter 4? <laughs> she, she talked about you could have a river of life. That's what he talked about the woman at the well. You can have a well springing up inside you. You see, the fulfillment is in Jesus. All these things we look at, the fulfillment is in Jesus. He said, he cried on the last, come unto me, or ever first, and I'll give you everlasting water. Water. You see, he is our fulfilment. We rest in him. It's not in the old covenant, it's the new covenant. The old covenant couldn't be kept because of the weakness of flesh. So that's the first thing. Number one, they had water. They had ten plagues and they have ten, ten separate things here we're going to have. Number two was the manna. Chapter 78 again, 24 to 29. Oh. 
Oh, it says the command, uh, 20, 23, Psalm 78 again. Though we had command of the clouds above open, and he opened the doors of heaven, and rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to be full. He caused the east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind, and it rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered flowers like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. So they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. Wow! He opened the heavens and brought down manna and the, and the birds. So, and in fact, they had so many, they were sick of them in the end. But that's God. He did it for 40 years, for 2 million people in a desert place. And Jesus said in John 6, 31, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believe on me shall never thirst. That's a Sabbath rest, isn't it? Not having to... Eating on Christ and feeding on him. Being fed until you're full. Wow. Isn't it wonderful? That's if that's... Right, number three. Let's go back to Psalm 78, verse 14. In the daytime, it also led them with a cloud. In John 14, 6, Jesus, they said, how do we know the way? And Jesus said, I'm the way. You see, when the cloud moved, they had to move. And when the cloud stopped, they stopped. Jesus said, I'm the way. When he moves, we move. When he moves in the spirit, we move. He's our way. Isn't it wonderful? He's the way. Let's read the other half of that. That passage, no. All the night with a light of fire. It was never dark. They didn't need street lamps because the fire of God was there. Now the cloud also covered them from the heat of the sun in the day. At night it gave them light and heat. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that comes should not walk in darkness... He is our light of the world. Just like it was for them. He is for us. What did they have to do to get it? There had to be a Jew living in the wilderness. That's all. They had to be a descendant of Abraham. No other reason. We have been brought into that. And this is the fulfilment in the new covenant. People think they have to do something to get it. No! It's a free gift! <laughs> Along the, with, the, with the Mercedes. <laughs> 78. Again, we're looking verse 52 and 53. Back in Psalm 78. And he made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock, and he led them on safely so that they feared not. He shepherds us like he shepherded them. He said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. Now most shepherds weren't good, most of them were hired, because it was not a very nice job. But he said he was a good shepherd. And he looks after his sheep, and his sheep know him, are known by his name, and they know his voice, and he knows them. Isn't it wonderful? He's our good shepherd. All you have to do is to be in the family, and he's your good shepherd. 
If you're born again, he's your good shepherd. In Deuteronomy 29.5, we finished with the Psalms bit there now. Twenty-nine five, and he's got Deuteronomy twenty-nine five. Sorry, twenty-nine five. He's talking. He's, he's looking at what they've done. He said, "I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not waxen old upon you." Wow. The clothes didn't wax off. They had the clothes. Now, I love that because there's some things I like. The ladies can probably say this too. We have some clothes we like and they wear out. And you, think, oh. and you go and look for something the same and you can't find it anymore. And you're disappointed. Well, we have a, clo- a clothing and it's called a robe of righteousness. That's in Isaiah 61. Verse 10, he said he would call, clothe us with a robe of righteousness and a garment of salvation. But you say, well, that's in the Old Testament. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 1.30. It says, he has be- what is that 1 Corinthians 1.30? But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness. We're clothed with a righteousness. And it's a clothing that will never wear out. Doesn't matter what you do. Don't get any holes in it. It never wear out. A robe of righteousness. A clothes that never wear out. A robe of righteousness. For eternity you'll wear it. You'll stand, you saw them in the heavens, all clothed in white. That will be us. Forever. Clothed in white. But here, we don't need to come to Father and worry. As long as we say, Lord, I'm, you know, we come with a right attitude. We don't come in saying, oh, well, I'm clothed in the clothes of righteousness no matter how I live. No, that's not, that's not. But you wouldn't have that attitude if you really understood what the robe of righteousness was. But you were covered over with the robe. And he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus because we're covered over with him, because he says we're in him. Isn't it wonderful? And it says also on this passage, oh, I've gone, off, I've gone, trying to look at it in here, that our shoes will also not wear out. Where was that? Five. And the shoe is not waxen old, upon your foot. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? The whole of 40 odd years, the shoes never wore out. Well, we have shoes and they're called the gospel of peace. We're shod with the feet, the gospel of peace. That's what we walk in. And if you wonder, we've been reading Galatians about the gospel and the power of the gospel and what the gospel really is. If you know what the gospel really is and what he's done and the good news of what he's really done for you and what has happened and the glory of it, then you'll walk in that and it will never wear out because it's supplied by him. The shoes of God's gospel. In Psalm 105, we're up to number 8, no, Psalm 105, 37. Right. Now we haven't got... A, he bought them forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Wow. All those millions, all those thousands and thousands of people. And he says there wasn't a feeble one among them. Wow. Well, I tell you what, 
In Romans 8, 11, it says something. As you get older, you thank, thank God for this verse. But if the spirit of him, this is Romans 8, 11, that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwells in you. So you won't be feeble, just like they won't be feeble for 40 years, you won't be feeble for, for the whole of your life. Because he quickens our mortal bodies. It quickens us. Isn't it wonderful? And one day, your body will be totally quickened and you'll get a completely new one. And the, and the complete rest will be entering into heaven. But while we're here, we can enter into the blessings of what's in heaven. We don't get them all, but these ones, we can get. And I've left the best, oh no, number nine. In Exodus 20, which we read about the law, he gave them the law. They had the law. They had rules. They didn't before they didn't. They had, they had, the only rules they had was they, what the Egyptians told them they were to do. But here, they had a new rules. God had given them to them in, Egypt, in, in Exodus 20. And the ten, what we call the Ten Commandments. But more than that, there's a prophecy which I love. It's one of the wonderful prophecies. In Jeremiah 31, you probably all know it, but we'll go and look at it. Thirty-one, thirty-three. But this will be the covenant. This is what we're in. I will make in the house of Israel that after these days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. That's what God said he would do. He would write, not only with that law that came out of heaven, but he's in here now, because he's in here. Because he's the one who spoke the law and the rules, but we have. It says, talked about us now to be walking by the law of the spirit of life. That's the law we have, not the law of sin and death anymore, but the law of sin, spirit and life. He's brought us into a something so different. And it was all sorted out before eternity even started. Anything started. He'd already sorted it. This is the rest we have. This is the Sabbath rest that we have today. That we can rest in our God who does all things well. The last one is the most precious one. In Exodus 25, 22... This is the most precious one. He's talking about building the Ark of the Covenant. And there he said, There I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the Ark of the Testimony. He said, He will commune with us. Wow. Do you know? He said he would be with us in John 17, that we may be one with him. Him in us and us in him. Him in us. In 1 Corinthians 5, 10, it says, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You see, it's not a temple in the wilderness anymore. It's a temple of the, we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Whatever you feel like, we have this treasure God himself in an earthen vessel. That's what we have. So there are ten good reasons for being in the wilderness. We are in a wilderness. This world, to me, is like a wilderness. People want to do things, and this, that, and the other, my wife, we were just talking about, my wife, we're sitting, talking about what we're going to do on that. My wife's taking me on a cruise because I'm 65, and she thinks she ought to take me on a cruise, and we're deciding what we're going to do, and I thought, what? I don't care what I do. <laughs> I am. 
<laughs> but you see, because he changes your heart. The things that you might want to do years and years ago, he changes you. And all you want is what he wants. They cannot understand why you want to be in meetings. You think, but he went to a meeting last week. He went to a meeting. <laughs> you think, you know, when you're in a meeting, like last night, when the presence of God comes down and he manifests himself and the glory which you have heaven comes down, that's the most wonderful thing. And all the other things going into pale, into, into significance because of his presence and his life. So this is the past. This is the, the Sabbath rest he wants us to enter into. He took them out of bondage and brought them into a place where they didn't have to do anything but just be. The only thing they had to do was to obey him. He looked after them. He, he fought off the enemies. Loads of other things he did. I've just picked out those ten. We've shown you that they're all fulfilled in Jesus. And that whole lot was all designed before the foundation of the world. Because it was already planned. Isn't that a wonderful God? We live in such a wonderful, wonderful time when God's moving. And it's just such a wonderful time. Because the time where God is, is where God is. That's the most wonderful time. Hallelujah. Because he's the wonderful God who's taken us out of bondage. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son where there's freedom and liberty and rest. Rest in God. See, so many people are trying to please God all the time. Religious people try and please God. But you see, all you have to do is just rest in God, in what he's already done, in the work he did for, through Jesus here, which is shown in that old passages, in that old, in, in that old place there, in the wilderness. So I'm having a wilderness experience in the presence of God. You see, the wonderful thing is, when that veil rent, it wasn't just so, saying before, just so that we could have access to the presence of God, but so that God could come out and dwell in us and live in us and fulfil what he did in type in the Old Testament, fulfil it in us in reality. Isn't that incredible? The reality of a living God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on that cross. The breadth and depth and height of it are beyond us. They're just beyond our understanding. We just acknowledge you're the wonderful, great God. We don't understand everything in the way you do it, but you're a great God. Your mercy just goes on for generations and generations, lasts forever towards us. Your grace is piled up upon grace. And we just thank you, Jesus, of your fullness we have received. Thank you for your fullness. Thank you for your keeping power that you kept those people in the wilderness and you keep us in this wilderness because you're a wonderful, loving God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.